you're listening to Everything's Totally Fine. I'm Allie Hawk, and I'll be your host. Every other Tuesday, we bring you people who share stories about their lives. These aren't just any people, they're the toughest we can find. So join us every other Tuesday to hear about the times we pretend everything's totally fine. Our guest this week is a performance poet and a production coordinator who lives in Los Angeles. He's originally from New Jersey and graduated from the New School in New York, where he studied acting. He directed and produced a short that will come out this fall called Long Lost Love. And he's just generally a really thoughtful, all-around great guy. Our guest, Devin Murphy, starts us off with the story of when he was 17 living in New Jersey. Okay, yeah, so um, it was a summer, so my birthday is August 1st, and so it's like one of the last milestones for me of summer before Labor Day, which is like the end of summer. You know, it was exciting, I was going to be 18 years old, I was going to be able to be an adult or whatever. However, when I was 17, I'd gotten arrested with my friends for having bought. We were like skateboarding at a Firestone Tire Factory. Imagine a bunch of tires, like rubber tires, in like a corral. Okay. It's like a ball pit made of tires. So we were in there about to smoke weed and a cop car pulls up. So we freaked out. We um, Right, because it's hard to say you're doing anything other than Yeah, this. like what are you doing hiding in a tire pit? Everyone put their weed back on them, except for my friend Bill, who had his weed in a Ninja Turtles case, like a little plastic green Ninja Turtles case. He hid it inside a tire. And uh, so the cop comes out. He pulls us out. Um, he's like, all right, well, we're going to let you go. But we just have to survey the area real quick. And so he goes in, and within like three seconds, I'm saying like he like somehow found this in a whole pit of tires, found this green hard Ninja Turtles case with like a gram of weed. And uh, so we all got taken in for that because I had some on me and my other friend did. And so they called in the whole squad. And had you been arrested before? No, that was my first time ever, really. I was a big pussy when it came to getting in trouble. I remember I got like borderline suspended in like eighth grade and I cried and I was really upset. Yeah, that would. <laughs> I don't. I, I don't like letting people down. I'm like no. a people pleaser. So in New Jersey, if you're 17, you get like a misdemeanor like that. Um, it's not violent or whatever. You avoid going to court, getting any record for it, as long as you stay clean until you get 18. Okay. So like once you turn 18, it's expunged. Oh. Okay. You're wiped. So that happened right when I turned 17. So I lost. My parents wouldn't let me drive anymore. Like I lost all my privileges. Was this the most trouble you'd ever been in? Yeah. Yeah, by far and away. I had, yeah, I got arrested. Um, and so I had lost everything, lost the car, like couldn't go out anymore. You know, I had like a girlfriend at the time. And it was like really hard to like, you know, it was before cell phones, we couldn't text. Like, um, and so I was really playing it safe. And then the week before my 18th birthday, I heard about this really crazy party that oh, was going to go no. down. <laughs> go, go. Okay. And so it's in Medford. It's like down by like the water tower, like two acres they got mm-hmm. a pool and a hot tub and like it's like this girl's older brother and he's totally cool he's gonna buy the beer and so medford's like this was like a farmier part of south jersey that we drove out to and uh it turns out to be an awesome party though it's a crazy rager like they have you know like we were 17 like having all this beer having a pool like everyone they have bongs out everything's cool um but at a certain point the cops come but these cops were like upset like, they saw there was all these teenagers, and there was, like, no, like, real adult there. So they bring the entire squad with them, including, like, three paddy wagons. And they're like, we're rounding everybody up. Everybody's going to jail tonight. And so <laughs> I had I had been in the pool 
wearing my boxers with like my shoes on the deck and like the rest of my clothes inside my car parked in the like their driveway so i was like all right well i can play this cool like i can do this like this like there's no choice here <laughs> like okay I'm, I'm gonna be cool about it so i climb out of the pool they round us up and they go through everyone and they say we've got paddy wagons for all the juveniles everyone who's under 18 come with us we're taking you down to bookie right now so they bring a flashlight around they ask everyone and when they get to me they say are you 18 and i say yes and it's just like you know they don't check id or anything and so they round everyone else up and i'm like okay like they're gonna write us up some shit like they're gonna find out but i have a second <laughs> so i saddle up on the bench in my underwear next to like other people who came out of the pool in their underwear so i grab my shoes and i like slowly put them on i don't have any socks i don't have any pants or shirt or anything it's just like wet underwear and my bare feet and shoes and the cop turns his back and goes away from the pool. And as soon as he turns his back, I'm like, this is this is it. Like, do it. So I just get up and I run. And he hears me hitting the foot the footsteps on the deck. <laughs> and I have to jump over the pool. And it's like an above ground pool. So I have to like jump over and do a barrel roll. I fall. Suddenly it's like ET, six flashlights all shine up and they start pressing in like a circle wave around me. <laughs> The next episode of the podcast is going to feature some of the best stories that have been told so far. So if you have a story that stood out to you, let me know. You can email the show at hi at etfshow.org. And so I start running. I hit the edge of like the, you know, property house part and it's like dense far so it's like south jersey woods and i'm like all right i can do this so i'm running through thorns i'm running through bushes i'm getting hit in the face i have shit in my teeth cops are still coming for me i hear like dogs barking i'm like there's no way they release dogs there's no way they release dogs and uh suddenly i just fall 10 maybe 12 feet and hit water and i'm in like a creek so i start swimming and i'm like thinking of stand by me the whole time where it like comes out of the creek with like leeches all over i'm like what the fuck it's like it's cool i got this i still have my shoes on they're like wet i'm kicking and the cops run all the way up to the creek and i get to cross it and i get to the other side and they don't follow with me and so i run all the way through until i find another road and then i hid in a farm i found like a sheep farm and i hid in some bushes by a fence and i saw the cops pass forward and back with lights and I, like, <gasps> they were still looking for you they were still looking for me yeah so I like I balled up. And I'm like, it's cool. Like I made it this far. Like I could keep doing it. I'm still good. Um, and so I chilled for a while. But now it's like 3.30, 4.30 a.m. And I'm like, this is, you know, like what, what am I going to do? I can't go back yet because I don't know what happened there. But my car's there. So I was like, well, I'll stay warm. I'll try to get some sleep. So I went to my friend's house, but it was before cell phone. So I couldn't call him or anything. And so I went out back to its tree fort for a while it, and you only had your shoes and your wet underwear oh, yeah only my shoes and my wet underwear and uh i couldn't sleep there because i was too cold so i went to the side of his house to his uh like air conditioning unit and i curled up on top of it because as it worked it generated heat and it was like dude i was like that dude on the vent on the oh sidewalk i had like a God. pair of like wet adidas and like some like <gasps> tiny like boxer shorts just like soaking wet shivering Sleeping but, like, on your so, friend's yeah. family's air conditioning Exactly. Unit. Yeah, like he never even knew I was there. <laughs> and so the next day I went back and they ended up, um, my friends who were under 18 all got in trouble, but it wasn't the same people who were with me the first time. I got my car back. Everything was good. I'm happy. Like I got away with it. 
a day later, I start itching and I end up getting rashes all over my body, including my face, no my way. ears, my uh, legs. Fortunately, because I had boxers on, I got to protect like, uh-huh. like yes. my, my criticals. But, <laughs> um, but I got covered from head to toe with poison ivy to like the worst degree where they had to put me on all these steroids. They had to like add up an inhaler. And so even though I got away with everything, it still like caught up to me. And I turned 18 with so much poison ivy. (laughs) (laughs) The the worst time I got poison ivy was like not doing anything remotely cool at a party. It was running. I was running uh, cross country at Michigan State. Oh, yeah. I had no choice but to take a shit in the woods. Oh, shit. Really? And I, and I wiped with poison ivy. So I had, like the what? opposite You did the thing that like everyone fears. Yeah. yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. I was that's... like riding my moped to class and I was like, God, that I like itch. And I was like, that's weird. And then I got, and then I like took care of it. But then I got to class. I was like, oh, I itch again. And then it just ended up, I was like, okay, I think I have a thing. I had to go to the yeah. trainers. And that's because like, you never want to, it's not your first thought that it's poison ivy. And then you don't want to accept that it's poison ivy after that. Right. Yeah. And then they were, they were like, how much of we could, how much of you could we not have to see to be able to determine what it is? And I was like, I have, there's no pride in my life right now. Yeah. Like, and then I had this to is... like spread my cheeks for a group and they're like, yeah, you have poison ivy. You wiped with it. You great. wiped with it. Wow. Did they tell you like how often people come in with that, with that disorder? I, their first case. <laughs> okay. Uh, I think it would be higher, you know? I it think it would be, like, probably be like three years. I did it again. I what? did it again like a year oh, that's later. On I know. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Now, now I just try to avoid wiping if I have to really Yeah, just don't do it. And again, the next episode, number 18, is going to be a best of episode that features some of the best stories that people have heard on this podcast. So, if there's a story that stood out to you, Send an email to hi at etfshow.org and let us know. Yeah, so I went to, I moved to school in New York and I just knew I wanted to go to school in New York. Like I wanted to be in New York, but I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Um, And I was like a good kid in high school. It's like, I guess I had, like, I didn't want to pick. I think that's still my problem. <laughs> um, and so I went for psychology, which like was kind of cool. Like I took some cool classes, but some of my classes were like AP classes or with like juniors. And I just didn't really like click with it in the way I thought I would. And so I almost failed out my freshman year. Like I didn't, I ended up not turning in a lot of papers. I got pneumonia actually, but I was still, oh yeah, I was still like smoking and skateboarding with pneumonia. It was terrible. I was dumb. <laughs> I drank a lot of Rolling Rock. <laughs> I would drink like two, they had Rolling Rock six packs for 575 at the deli downstairs. And I knew everyone was underage, but they didn't care. And so you would just go there and I'd get like two, 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 uh, two six packs for 12 bucks. Oh geez. Yeah. And then just like right there. Yeah, exactly. And the I skateboard and your grades were suffering. Yeah, it's weird. I'm still trying to figure it out, but I feel like I've made progress. (laughs) Anyway, I almost failed out. And I realized that maybe like I wasn't there for psychology. And I'd always liked movies and writing and and that kind of stuff. And my roommate at the time was an actor. And he was like, why don't you just try to transfer to the acting program? Like I can set you up with an advisor and like just go in. So I did that. And so my first scene was like from Ibsen's Ghosts. And so, um, so I did the closing scene with this girl and like I rehearsed the hell out of it. It was like the best feeling ever. And so I had this great feeling for for doing what I wanted to do and like everything clicked and that was such a good moment. The second semester of class, we had another final scene to do. But because I had felt this kind of connection before, I assumed that it was still there. Like, oh, I still got it, you know? 
And so we all had to pick monologues. So I picked Tom Cruise's wheelchair monologue about not having a dick from Born on the Fourth of July, <laughs> which is a really good movie. And it, the whole thing about is about how he, you know, he doesn't have a cock. He's got like, and it got blown off, and like he's upset. It's him screaming from a wheelchair, but it's like an iconic scene. You know what I mean? Like, okay, right. I as an adult, seen it, but... yeah. As an adult now, you realize that like you don't do iconic scenes and stuff. Like, you know what I mean? Like no one can really do streetcar like Brando did it in that you know it's like there's always like right. a, a benchmark that's kind of sad but anyway I just like chose... they're given awards for that performance yeah it's like everyone like... knows that it's like a cultural touchstone if it can like appear in parody form on the Simpsons you shouldn't try to do it in an acting class that's my advice to that's a good to rule most people. To live by. Yeah. Um, okay but you hadn't heard this rule so yeah so I hadn't heard this rule <laughs> so I decided um, I decided to do it because I had a little cousin who, like, I grew up an only child. And so the closest people to me, uh, when my mom went back to school, she went back to college when I was, like, a little bit older, when I was, like, six, were my grandmother and my cousin, who was two and a half years younger than me. So he joined the army, and he was going to, and he was like, oh, yeah, like, a recruiter came to my door, and I couldn't decide what to do. And this was 2004. And so this was, like, right after we invaded Iraq. And so, like, I was really upset about this. Like, I was actually really torn up. Because he was, like, a little brother. He was the closest thing I had to a brother, like, joining the army right when we went. And so I did this monologue. I'm like, yeah, because I felt this like real passion for it. And like I understood and like I rather than rehearsing, I like intellectually masturbated on it. Whereas like when everyone else was like getting off book, I was like thinking about it and like feeling it. And then I feel like that's a very male actor thing to do. It's often a problem. Like I do a lot of directing now, you know, like I'm there to provide light, like to shine the light on like what the heart is. And it's like, no, you're kind of just like one piece in the puzzle. And there's like a lot of people. And you see it more with dudes than you do with chicks. And I'm not sure why that is. But like, it's like an ego thing. So that's what I did, basically. It's like, I thought I was going to shine a light on what it means, like what war means. And so I did this monologue that um, I didn't even know the lines to. And I did it in like a chair. And so like I pantomimed wheeling. But like, I wasn't truly off book. And so I'm delivering like this powerhouse and like really feeling it, but people are kind of like looking down. If, if you've ever been part of a bad you know, performance, you can tell when people are like uncomfortable and like people were visibly uncomfortable. And yeah, it was really bad. And I ended up abandoning it halfway through and actually talking about my cousin going to Iraq and why it affected me like it was a monologue. It was so awkward. And then I left, like we were in like a basement, like dance studio is where we used to rehearse. And I just like left afterwards. I was so embarrassed. <laughs> Uh, but I stayed on and I ended up doing plays with them and like, you, you know, yeah, and I, and I kept coming back. That was probably like my down, my down point, but it was because I didn't do the work. And I think if you do the work, like you're going to do a good job. You're going to do as good as you can do. But sometimes you get afraid. I'm afraid of not being as good as I can be. So I don't do the work to begin with. You know oh, what I mean? Right. Like, yes, it's almost it's like, like you like sell yourself short. So you don't do the footwork to get there. Off off the hook yeah. kind of I want to do the best I can and so sometimes if I'm overwhelmed by something or if I think I'm not qualified to do it then yeah I'll, I'll take the route of overthinking it instead yeah, totally right I'm, I'm so impressed that you like didn't cast yourself out of that community after you embarrassed yourself oh uh, yeah but I think having really rehearsed and really hit it that one time it gave me hope that I could always get back to that place at least at some point okay and I won an award actually I won the only outstanding contribution to the arts award So it's like right when I was like 27 to 28, I started, um, I come from a very Irish family. So there's a lot of alcoholism in our family that all starts to show like mid 20s to early 30s. And it definitely started to show in me in the sense that like I would like, I was totally functional and that like I would have work, I would have everything 
Um, I would have everything under control, but whenever I didn't have responsibility, I would be drinking. And that was basically my thing. So I was functional in the sense that I could get really good grades and I could get an outstanding contribution to the arts award and I could do all these things and still like burn the candle at both ends and like drink like 10 beers every night. Around 27, 28, that stopped working. And I would just like, I would lose whole weekends and I would just like, I would just drink the whole time I wasn't, wasn't working. Like and, how early in the day would you drink? Oh, I, I never really drank that early unless I was with, well, actually, um, towards the end, if I woke up and I was still drunk from the night before, I would drink in the morning. Um, I realized I was going to have to quit. Like shit started adding up, but I didn't really want to do it. I didn't want to go to AA. I didn't want to have to do all of that. So I was going to do it on my own because I, because my family is the way it is. I have a lot of people who have quit either through the program or through their own white knuckle shit. Um, yeah. So I decided I was going to do it myself and I would have it for like maybe a month at a time you know, where I'd be okay, where like the conviction of like the shame or like the humiliation of whatever you did, because there's always something stupid. Like it usually comes down to something stupid you do um, when you drink too much. And it's always when you black out and you don't remember. And that's the problem with alcoholics, at least in my opinion, is that like, I don't remember half the terrible things I did or like times I was just a pain. Like I remember the stuff that was really bad, but I don't remember the things that were more persistent or more part of my personality. Like people who were close with me at the time had to put up with a lot of parts of me that I didn't have to put up with. And so changing that, especially working, like I worked in a restaurant at the time, it was a very hard uh, life change. Um, and so I was trying to quit on my own and I would make it like a couple of weeks and then it would relapse and I would come back and it would be worse than before. So every time I relapsed, it would be like a month or two in between, but it would be worse. So like one time I went to the hospital, one time I had a bike stolen, but at the very end, the last time I drank, was 10, 11, 12. And that morning I went to the Polish liquor market and I got a six pack of vodka, like bottles, like flavored bottles. And I got that because I never drank vodka because I think it tastes like rubbing alcohol. I think it's not my thing. Mm -hmm. And um, I thought maybe, like, maybe I'll switch it up. Everything will be cool. So I got them and then I got orange juice, which I don't really drink. And I started making um, screwdrivers and just walking around. And so I walked around I walked over the bridge, I walked into the city, and my friend was working at the liquor store. He knew that I was trying to quit, and I went, and he happened to be at the checkout. I bought another pint of vodka, like a plastic pint of vodka. He's like, aren't you, aren't you like dry right now? I'm like, yeah, man, but it's just, you know, it's vodka. It's, I'm going to have something. He's like, all right, man. And like he handed it to me, and then ashamed, I went, and I bought a second pint of vodka from another liquor store, put him in my bag, and then went in to see The Dark Knight Rises. Alone? Yeah, alone. Yeah. This is like four in the afternoon on like a Wednesday. I worked in a restaurant, so I had odd, odd hours. And I just sat there and I watched The Dark Knight Rises. And like, as it went, I like finished, I before I even got to the liquor store, I finished the six pack of uh, like little like hotel bottles. But I finished the first pint. And then I remember finish, starting to finish the second pint. And like Joseph Gordon-Levitt was a cop and he figured out like Batman was Bruce Wayne. And like all of a sudden I woke up and it was like two days later. And that was it. You just have flashes, you know, I have flashes of like being by a park and skateboards. But I woke up the next day and my girlfriend was leaving me and she was like, she cleaned me up. Oh, but it wasn't even the next day. It was like a whole day later. So I don't know what happened.
when you're addicted to something, your brain chemistry changes and you can rationalize anything. And it's like, imagine you had like a little shit monkey who like hugged onto your leg and you're like, can he come too? And your buddy's like, no, you're being an asshole trying to bring him. It's like, I know, but like, he really loves me. Like we get along great. And then you have to decide at a certain point to get rid of the shit monkey if you still want to be friends with people. Otherwise, it's just going to be you and that shit monkey and you're both going to get really shitty and pretty much you'll be indistinguishable in the long run. <laughs> but that's the thing. It's like you're always trying your best and the shit monkey wants to come along. And um, so I was trying to kick the shit monkey off on myself. And like I ended up finding success through other people, which saved my life. And that was when I realized that like you can't, you can't keep trying to bring the shit monkey with you. You can't keep saying that like you've, you're gonna do it or not, you know? Like there comes a certain point in your life, I think. And some people call it bottom, like that was my bottom when I go back to it. Cause I remember feeling like a certain brokenness that like if this didn't change, like what was the point? And it's like, you have to make a conscious decision that either like life either means something that there is a point to something, there is a point to you being here or there isn't. Some way, at a certain point, I feel like you have to choose, right? Does that yeah. make sense? I, I have never, uh, that's never been posed to me before, but I think so. I, get, I guess depending on where I'm at in my life, I get comfort from either one. Yeah. In fact, I think I get more uncomfortable if I think that life really matters. Then mm-hmm. I get like, Cause then it's like overwhelmed you're, and I feel like I'm behind. Like you're squandering? Yeah. Yeah. But then if I feel like we're all just stardust and there's no point, then it like takes the pressure off. Yeah. And it's kind of like that first sip syndrome where it's like, for a second it's terrifying, but then when you think about it, it's like, oh, but then it doesn't really matter. Okay. Right. <laughs> Maybe it'll matter tomorrow. Okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like I'll be no. disappointed tomorrow morning, yeah. but. If you have an addiction or something that will truly break you, and that's like the pivotal moment, and that's when I, I was like, I need help. I mean, that's the first step, I was admitting you're powerless. And I was like, I need help. But yeah, so yeah. do you, how do you, where is the monkey now? Um, the monkey is dismantled, uh, but he's like a robot monkey who always wants to come back. So like for the rest of my life, I have to be vigilant about keeping the monkey in like a bunch of horcruxes like all around. Um, but he's, uh, yeah, you break him down through other people and service and um, uh, being honest with yourself and just trying to be good too. So I just, in that moment, I decided that like, there is a point, like there's something that's guiding us and whether or not we want to use that knowledge to like try to do good things and like it doesn't matter whether there's this outside thing like people get caught up in the heaven hell thing it's like what if it's all <laughs> like john lennon shit but it's like what if it's all right now like what if hell is feeling guilt and feeling shame and like losing this opportunity to um, be true to yourself and experience the world as best as you're able to and maybe that is heaven like having a free mind um if yeah if you choose that that's something that like there is a greater thing it's just much nicer to um like not be a dick or it's much easier to not be a dick you know like there have been points in my life where i've been kind of cynical or um and being a dick just comes more easily yeah it's it's annoying and i don't like falling into this and sometimes i do too it's like i feel like being cynical is so in right now it's like such it's like the hipster thing yeah and to be like sarcastic and dismissive is yeah. is what's like totally hot for our generation. And it's like you can see the sexiness there. Like it definitely is a certain sexiness, but it's not what I value. There should be the the warm heartedness. Right. You the know? Like, intention. Yeah. The trying and caring and yeah. feeling. Yeah. And loving. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> That's our show. Our theme music is by Danny Janino. And our artist by Jen Hamilton.
Also, a special thanks this week to Libby Spears and Blueprint Films. If you like the show, please rate us and give us a review on iTunes. It goes a long way. Thanks for listening.